Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone. Security Token Show, episode 34. My name is Kyle Sondland, and I'm joined with my co-host, Herwig Koenigs. Hello, everyone. Thank you for those of you who are coming back and listening again, and welcome to those of you who are new to the show. This week, we're going to be breaking down the various types of trading venues for security tokens and also understand a little bit of how they're regulated and how they facilitate trading and settlement a little bit differently. But before we jump into that, we are going to kick off the show with our Companies of the Week segment, followed by our industry news, some STO updates, and of course, the market activity review. And with that, Kyle, please, I'm curious, who's your Company of the Week? Well, my Company of the Week this week is Fat Brands. And if you're not familiar with Fat Brands, they own Fat Burger, which is a well-known burger chain across the United States which made headlines with their announcement of a $40 million blockchain-based bond issuance in 2019. And just this week, it was announced that the financial giant Morningstar is actually set to take the leap and rate its very first blockchain-based security. Cool. This is really exciting. And so while the asset and the rating itself are actually based on a traditional paper debt security, Morningstar cited that faster access to data about these securities as a result of the increased transparency from using Ethereum in its rating document, paving the way for more crypto assets native to the blockchain in the future. And so Fat Brands sold about $20 million worth of Class A notes that were rated double B by DBRS Morningstar and another $19.7 million in Class B notes that were rated a single B rating. And so the fixed notes themselves averaged about a 7.75% interest rate per year and are backed by the royalties and initial upfront fees charged to the Fat Brands franchisees, including for their, their restaurants, Fat Burger, Buffalo's Wings, Ponderosa Steakhouse, and and many more businesses that they they represent. And so the article itself continues mentioning that Morningstar's rating specifically mentions a, quote, shorter forecast performance period and higher visibility into the viability of the brands, end quote, as a factor in their positive rating. The report goes on to specifically mention the issuance platform behind the blockchain-based securities cadence and that they would issue these security tokens to all investors and record the transactions on Ethereum, adding a caveat that the security tokens themselves are only quote, digital representations of ownership, and that the use of blockchain, quote, will occur outside of and parallel to the transactions and will not actually govern ownership of the notes, end quote. So it's it's kind of like they're, they're dipping their toes into this blockchain-based security token before they fully, you know, dive in, if you will. And so they've issued almost parallel instruments, one that kind of mirrors the traditional debt instrument to track how that thing performs over time to test the waters. And the offering itself seems to be completed privately from the fundraising perspective. And that being said, Cadence will track all of the transactions on Ethereum through their centralized wallet, providing a full record of ownership and transaction history for all ownership of the tokens available through any public Ethereum explorer. And so just to summarize, Morningstar 
summarize their overall perspective on blockchain and distributive ledger technology relative to securities transactions in quote, distributed ledger technology decentralizes and encrypts the storage of information, making manipulations by third parties difficult, which ultimately reduces the potential for fraud, presumably compared to traditional analog instruments. And so the fact that they specifically noted that this reduces the risk of fraud is a huge win for fat brands, cadence, and the security token industry. We'll see if the token itself is publicly traded or if it is maintained as a private offering, but I have nothing but great things to say about Cadence team regarding their hard work, and ultimately, I commend Fat Brands for its willingness to take the technological leap in issuing this as a a security token. And so I'm really psyched to see that their bond has been favorably received at the highest, highest levels of scrutiny from Morningstar, and I'm really excited to see them pave the way for others in the future. So because of that, Fat Brand gets my company of the week. That is super, super cool. It absolutely is a game changer. I think it's a best practice for for many future bond issuers to leverage a, a rating agency as part of their investment. And of course, you know, Fat Brands was the first to do it here. Pulling it off with Morningstar is absolutely a, a absolute major game changer. I, th- I think it's fantastic that Morningstar was willing to not just sort of look at the underlying security, but also dive into the technology behind this. They really studied the issuance platform. They really researched the potential benefits or you know effects of using blockchain technology. And the result, as you pointed out, is reduced in fraud as well as all these other benefits that we've been talking about on the show. And now Morningstar has proven that and validated. I think that is awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. Just the fact that they were able to say that that leveraging blockchain technology reduces the the chances of fraud, I think is a huge statement to come out and say publicly. And we can presume that that was affected positively in the rating of the overall bond. So if you're an issuer specifically of corporate debt, this is something to consider because you're going to be able to get better rates and, and lower discounts on the, the, the debt you're raising. So this is fantastic news. I'm totally psyched. Again, we see the value proposition of security tokens be proven in another and more unique way than others typically look at it. So I think also really, really great in that regard. What's your company of the week this week? Well, Kyle, I'm actually going to switch it up and not choose a company this week. In fact, it's a person. So I have wow. a person of the week. Uh, in this case, I'm talking about a congressman, Representative Paul Gojar of Arizona, who submitted the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020 recently in Congress. The bill is an updated version of what leaked in December, and we did give that some coverage um, and it was under the same name for those of you who forgot. But again, I'm going to give a quick breakdown of what it is and, and why I think it's so important. It's actually really, from my perspective, a much needed piece of legislation that defines digital assets in the U.S. by three categories, crypto commodities, cryptocurrencies, and crypto securities. And also, the bill goes on to assign respective regulators for each type so that there is a primary responsible party to regulate those specific digital asset classes. And of course, relevant to us and our listeners here, crypto securities in the bill, as defined, and as we've seen many other countries do similarly and and with our support as well, to say that crypto securities include equity, debt, and derivatives that are being tokenized with blockchain technology. So this is something that we think is very much needed to help build confidence in the U.S. blockchain sector, especially many times we have conversations with with people outside of the U.S. and they see potential concern with the regulators out here, et cetera. 
This would be a great bill to go ahead and make law and give back that confidence that people are looking for. Currently, the bill does not have any co-sponsors, but that's because it's been focused on industry support and making sure that it's very clear. And I have to say from some of the other stuff that I've seen submitted in the past, this is definitely the most articulated and well-defined version of blockchain technology to be considered. And I wanted to name Representative Goshar as my person of the week to help bring attention to this bill because I really do hope that that it gets some momentum and that we see at least positive response from fellow lawmakers and and industry support uh, for for all the reasons that I mentioned earlier. So with that, congratulations to Representative Goshar. Keep up the good work. Keep up the advocacy for the industry. And hopefully we, we see the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020 get signed into law. It's fantastic. We've seen a lot of representatives of legislation and leadership roles in the government coming forward with their proposals, their ideas of how to move the industry forward. And, and I love that there are a lot of progressive people in Congress and, and in leadership positions to be able to represent this industry and give it the respect that it deserves because there are you know, a lot of different perspectives and stigmas based off of the different industries and how they've performed over the, the previous few years. But I think that that's irrelevant to the technology and the benefits that it can provide to so many industries. So it's very exciting to see some, some leaders really paving the way in that regard. Much, much needed clarity. And with that, I think we can hop right into our industry news segment because we're going to stay on the same topic here of speaking of regulation in the U.S. And that's because actually there was a pretty big announcement from the SEC last week. So as many of our loyal listeners probably remember, back in Q3 of last year, the SEC requested feedback from the public about harmonizing the private exemption offering framework. We at Security Token Group wanted to send a loud message to the SEC, so we published a letter publicly and collected support from more than 30 individuals and companies about improving the framework with our feedback. And now the SEC has officially responded to everybody with additionally some proposed rule changes as a result of that market feedback. And without a doubt, there was a positive response from the community about some of these changes. Specifically, I'm talking about regulation crowdfunding which actually enables issuers to raise from anybody in the U.S., whether they're a creditor or not, up to a million a year. And this would have its limit increased to five million, a much more viable limit. Definitely worth wooing about, Kyle, because this this will increase the usage of the exemption and and increase the, the realm or the world of potential issuers that previously didn't consider Reg CF because it was simply too limiting or worth the cost of pursuing just a $1 million offering. Remember, that's for non-accredited investors. Anybody in the U.S. Yeah, it's a big deal. Super big deal. And we're actually proud to say that that STG letter we came up with, Kyle, that's right, we got cited in the SEC for this specific rule change. So we're, we're very happy about that and we're, we're, we're hopefully gonna see that come to fruition because again, these are proposed rules. We're also, we also saw some changes with Reg A plus tier two going from 50 million to a $75 million cap. This is a, a more advanced version of equity crowdfunding here in the US, which requires SEC approval as opposed to Reg CF. Uh, but again, would further expand the world of potential issuers leveraging an exemption like Reg A. So no doubt with these changes married to security token technology, we will enable an entirely new private market to come about. It's really, really exciting stuff. And as per usual with the SEC, there is another 60-day comment period to respond. So go get your feedback in if you can. 
And we will likely see a much longer time frame for this to actually eventually become implemented. So I'm hopefully aiming for some time in October, uh, but you know, there's really no way to tell for sure. Thanks again to everybody who signed that document, including Jonah Shulman, Andrew Lee, Darren Marble, Harish Gupta, Andrew Hogue, Token Woken, and, and many more who signed alongside and support. We really appreciate that. Next up, we also saw some similar activity from the SEC equivalent in Canada, the CSA, which is seeking public market feedback on a proposal regarding equity crowdfunding rules in Canada. The Canadian Securities Authority is proposing to increase the limit from half a million to a million. And I'm sure some commentators will mention the fact that both the U.S. now with the previous news and the U.K. also both looking to move towards a $5 million limit uh, will probably be brought up to the CSA and and hopefully encourage the CSA to increase the limit even further. Uh, But it's great to see securities regulators around the world continue to foster more open and accessible markets by everybody. And next up, we, we also see some regulation changing uh, for, for the worse, you know, uh, not, not necessarily for the worse, but in a different way, an adverse effect, because there was some pretty big news from the EU in February. Matthew Unger, the CEO of iComply, who, by the way, did a great interview series on securities.io at least last week, authored an article talking about the relevance of the Cayman Islands being blacklisted by the EU for security tokens. What this means is before, EU-based issuers could not accept any type of money from funds based in the American Samoa, Fiji, Guam, Oman, Palau, Panama, Samoa, Trinidad and Tobago, the U.S. Virgin Isles, Vanuatu, and Seychelles. Now, the Cayman Islands has also been added to that blacklist. So that means the Cayman Island funds will also not be able to invest in EU issuers. The Cayman Islands is particularly, as Matt points out in his article, home to a lot of funds, including U.S. funds, because of tax benefits. So, of course, this could impact the ability for issuers in the European Union to raise capital from these stakeholders. Now, Matt uh, also points out, you know, since iComply itself provides KYC and AML services, that you know you need to be aware of this stuff and that regulation could impact people working at including directors officers or significant shareholders at a company that received funding from a Cayman source after the blacklist date so enforcement severity changes by country but can include criminal charges company seizure and known associates may end up on a variety of sanctions and watch lists not to mention potential reputational damage so Matthew knows what he's talking about uh, this is definitely something to be aware of. So make sure you know you check with your compliance provider to see if they have taken the right measures uh, for their KYC and AML. Next up, moving on, we we go to leading STO trading platform T Zero catching some flack as new information shed light on the Box T Zero partnership on launching the Boston Security Token Exchange. A new filing with the SEC reveals that the security tokens on the platform play no role in defining ownership for securities, but will simply act as a registry tool to track the traditional trading environment that they will use to operate onto a digital ledger. The BTSX proposal has seen some direct concerns from the industry, which submitted, you know, because this was publicly on the SEC, where comments and industry actors mentioned that the validity of security tokens compared to their already functioning traditional counterpart was questionable and therefore put into concern. And of course, for many in the digital securities industry, the company is receiving flack for not leveraging blockchain to operate the exchange itself, 
which many see you know, as the through and through potential NYSE of the future, rebuilt on the right technical foundation. Now it appears the company is taking a more traditional approach instead to the market without leveraging STOs quite in the way we thought we were going to see it, specifically because T0 is operating directly you know, in the markets with their own STOs. So is this approach due to traditional market pushback? Is it SEC pushback? Is it just strategic BTSX management choice? I'm not sure. There's no way to tell. Regardless, they still need SEC approval to, to move forward and launch. And I'm rooting for them to get to, to market quickly because they will still educate people on security tokens. And over time, maybe they may overhaul their infrastructure fully. And maybe this is just a piece-by-piece -piece approach that, that helps make this more digestible for the SEC or even just the financial traditional markets to support you know, a tokenized financial world. Uh, Kyle, for this case, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this one. At first, when I first read this, I was frustrated. But the more that I think about it, it may just be their, their best attempts to get live. I know that, that certainly T0 and all of those different businesses in, in the subsidiary stack have had a multitude of regulation issues in terms of getting live and getting their different pieces live. They certainly had to start with the Dinosaur Financial Group ATS instead of launching their T0 ATS and many of these things. So potentially this is a way for BTSX to get approval and then kind of slowly work in the, the blockchain piece and the security token piece. It sounds like maybe the goal is to do something kind of like what we saw with fat brands where they use the blockchain layer as a way to track how the security performs with potentially eventually upgrading to have that represent ownership. So I don't know if this is quite as extreme as maybe your first emotional reaction might be around them maybe trying to pivot to get something more traditional live first. Um, obviously, you'd like to see them go full hog into it, but we just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So hopefully they can at least get live and then we'll go from there and figure out what where things are going from there. But keep hope. I think that, I think that they're going to do their best job. Absolutely. And, you know, language is everything when dealing with the SEC. So it's very easy to read into things, but always curious to hear your feedback. All the articles that we talk about are available on Security Token News on, on the STM website, stmarket.com. So if you have comments or feedback and, and thoughts about this, we'd love to hear it. Go, go submit it there. We also have some funding news from last week that's worth talking about. Alpha Point, which provides exchange software raised $5.6 million in, a, in a, what they're calling a Series A. The company claims to have 150 exchange customers worldwide, most of them providing cryptocurrency exchanges. But last year, the company introduced support for security token offerings, and they also added margin trading features in November. And in 2020, they will announce the release of a series of new liquidity, leverage, and lending products and solutions to their platform. So investors in this raise were not identified, but Galaxy Digital, which previously backed the company with, with $15 million, did participate again in this latest round. So congrats to the AlphaPoint team for their raise. We also see some new entrants coming to market. We have news of Andre Figure, vice president of one of the largest sporting career management companies in Brazil looking to tokenize soccer players. So we, we've seen this trend before here in the US with NBA player Spencer Dinwiddie. Figuera said he is supporting the launch of a platform named OleCoin, of course, referring to Ole uh, from, from football and or soccer, depending on where part of the world you are. 
And the platform's goal is to target newer football players or soccer players who Figueres says are often abandoning their careers due to a lack of financial support. The idea is to create an ecosystem where now micro investors and presumably supporters can, through the acquisition of the player's token, participate in their future receivables with small participation for a specific period in their future salaries and marketing contracts. The platform is expected to launch in the second half of 2020 with a beta version that has roughly 10 players tokenized in it. And as I mentioned, this is very similar to the Spencer Dinwiddie NBA contract token represented on the Dream Fan Share site here in the U.S., though that token doesn't include any future marketing contract uh, and future salary earnings, just what's represented in that contract, which I think definitely is a, an additional layer that spices up mm-hmm. an investment like this. We did do a, a whole episode on, on tokenized sports finance, so go check that out if you're interested in that. But ultimately, very cool to see more of this niche sort of asset class get looked into for tokenization. Higher risk, higher reward. You can invest in players that maybe haven't quite made it to the top leagues yet in the hopes that that they maybe turn it around and, and can turn into something special and then you get not only their salary but their marketings. That, that can be some serious returns. Very, very interesting and definitely previously not possible without security token Absolutely technology. Not. Another platform that may be entering the security token space is uh, actually word from the CEO of SBI Holdings, the Japanese investment bank that invested seven figures into Securitize and also launched the J- Japan Security Tokenization Associate Security Token Association last year. SBI CEO Yoshitaka Kitao, who also happens to be a Ripple board member, by the way, is rumored to be speaking with fellow members of the association to develop an STO exchange uh, together, of course. And this is according to the GG newspaper. Katao says that he will work with Japanese regulators to get approval. Uh, and the timing is right since actually the regulators are currently discussing the regulation within 2020, he says. And he also added that prior to the STO exchange's launch, Japan's first STO products will likely roll out sometime in June or July this year and will be traded on other platforms prior to the new STO platforms is launched. So Japan has been mobilizing very fast uh, as an infrastructure around security tokens. And the only criticism I ever had in the past, I may have even said it on the show, was a lack of dedicated STO exchanges. And it looks like that now could possibly change well within this year. And I'm very excited to also see some of those STOs that uh, Katao is, is talking about roll out this summer. Definitely. Very exciting. Japan's always been a leader in the space, and uh, they seem to be keeping that momentum going in 2020. We'll move over to Europe next, where ClickOn, a German-based digital real estate investing platform, has announced a partnership with NetFonds. For its part, NetFonds will lend their expertise as a regulatory service provider and will handle the regulatory function of the liability umbrella and the structuring and approval of the bonds managed on the blockchain. Lastly, the firm will be responsible for the digital asset management phase as well. And that's why they'll closely be working with ClickOn with their technology as well. And interestingly enough, ClickOn leverages the Stellar blockchain and their first STO is now live. Kyle will mention more of that later on the show in the STO segment. Blockstation also made an announcement recently, at least at the time of, of publishing of this podcast, where they have another exchange partner. This time they signed an agreement with the Eastern Caribbean Securities Exchange to see the testing of Bitcoin, Ether, and tokenized IPOs on the ECSE. 
The managing director, Trevor E. Blake of the ECSE, said that, quote, he is proud to see the ECSE take a leading role in increasing access to and participation in our securities market through digital assets. Blockstation will be helping them with their pilots and providing the infrastructure needed for their exchange to support digital securities and other digital assets, including using their SLAP or Smart Listing Accelerator portal for issuers to create and manage their disclosure documentation for a tokenized IPO, which for those of you who remember, I awarded them actually company of the week for, for launching that just a few weeks ago. So Congrats to Blockstation for what I think now is maybe their third uh, Caribbean exchange to leverage their technology to digitize and embed blockchain into their operations. Fantastic. We also got an interesting announcement from Onera, the private enterprise blockchain dedicated to specifically security tokens, saying that founding members such as banks, exchanges, broker-dealers, and other regulated financial institutions will be given the issuance platform for free ahead of the rescheduled April launch. Uh, The Onera issuance platform is designated to make it easy for any regulated financial institution to begin issuing digital securities with also supported API integrations. The move is likely designed to drum up a lot of interest and users to, to have as part of their launch announcement sometime in April. Hopefully the move pays off. I don't see anything about how long or, or what, what, what's related to it being free, but it sounds like a pretty great deal given some of the other market pricing that's out there. So if you are uh, one of those qualified founding members, a bank, an exchange, broker, dealer, or, or otherwise, reach out to the Onera team, Amiba Ben David, uh, Gordon uh, uh, Home and uh, <laughs> Alan and Joseph, those guys uh, are also very involved. So if you know any of those names, reach out to them about getting free access to Onera. Finally, I want to end the new segment on what I consider some top tier content around security tokens. The first is a podcast episode on the scoop by the block featuring Jay. Bian Kamano, who is credited to leading the crypto charge at a massive custodian bank, State Street. It's a great interview where Jay shares some of his thoughts on tokenization. Specifically, I want to share with our listeners that the executive believes that private markets will become a standard option for trading by investors in five to 10 years because of tokenization, that it is the going to be a gateway because of its ability to offer smaller pieces of assets, eliminate drag, and make it a much more cost-effective for large firms to provide access to these a- uh, assets to individuals. Boom. That's huge. I always love seeing the major traditional players like Jay recognize the value of blockchain and tokenization for financial markets. And this is just you know continued uh, support for what I think is the definite future that we all support and see. And lastly, and certainly not least, was a fantastic article by Katie Byrne on Traders Magazine. This is one of the most succinct, well-laid-out articles about tokenization of assets that I've seen and I just wanted to share it with everybody. It includes some great quotes as well, including Subhankar Shinha of BNY Mellon saying that, quote, tokenization doesn't just change the nature of the asset, it changes its texture and enables it to be more liquid. They also have another great quote from Goldman Sachs' Justin Schmidt saying, quote, the power of tokenization comes from allowing workflows to be standardized and automated in safer, faster, cheaper ways. So if you have five minutes to read through this great article, or if you need a good explainer article about tokenization to share with others, this is definitely a good one to use and check out. And moving on to events. 
There is, of course, the Securities Finance Technology Symposium of 2020 coming up on May 7th in London. And we have Security Token Realized San Francisco event on May 28th. You can learn any of the news topics or anything we discussed on the podcast by clicking on the related link in the description of wherever you're listening to, or of course, course going directly to the source at strmarket.com slash news. Additionally, there is a, there is an overstock. I think it's an investor call on Friday. They have links everywhere. I don't have it quite on hand, but they are doing a full rundown of their financials. And I believe that they will be discussing the digital dividend and the status on their digital dividend for the overstock security. So there's going to be, it's live, I think 8.30 before the markets open on Friday, EST, uh, March 13th. And then on top of that, I think the the on-demand listening for for in the future will also be available. You can check that out post-event and hear what they have to say. We'll we'll cover that on the next episode of Security Token Show. You can definitely listen live as well, though, on Friday. And I think that's a great way to transition into the STO update segment. So, Kyle, let's have at it. Here we go. So we've got a couple updates. Obviously, as I just mentioned, that was the first one. The digital dividend for Overstock is supposed to be getting issued this week or, or, or sometime soon. So the cutoff date for who was able or who was eligible for that offering is now closed. So they, they now are going to be responsible for issuing that dividend. Again, I presume that following their Q1 financial conversation on Friday, they will mention or, or denote how that will be issued to stockholders and what that process might look like. We've seen a couple rumors around whether it's going to be an option or whether of, of, of traditional dividend versus security tokens. We'll see what happens. Um, they'll give us a lot of info there. Moving on, we have a couple additional updates. The first one being from our favorite Spencer Dinwiddie and his token that represents his NBA guaranteed contract. First off, the token is now known it's not the SD8 token anymore because he actually changed his number following Kobe Bryant's passing. It's now the, the SD26 token representing his new number, and that will be the ticker and so Spencer Dinwiddie has also announced that they will be working with a new broker-dealer for the fundraising process. They were originally working with North Capital Private Securities, and now they will be switching to work with Tritarian Capital for the fundraise moving forward. They didn't mention whether North Capital will have any, any representation moving forward or if they've completely cut ties. It's not quite clear, but it looks like certainly Tritarian or Tritarian will be the leader for their brokerage services moving forward. Um, as we mentioned before, the token is going to be about a 5% coupon bond across three years secured by the guards NBA guaranteed contract. And so additionally, in a recent letter to investors, Dinwiddie did mention that more details are coming soon regarding the offering and they're just taking the proper precautions with this novel asset. This does seem to confirm some of our earlier guesses that this token might not launch until after the season because they've really been looking to try to work with the NBA for the launch of this thing. And certainly during the season is not the the best time for that to happen and those productive conversations to go on. So we'll see what happens. Honestly, we've got no insider info, but only time will tell. We're looking forward to that launch whenever it does go live. Moving forward, we have INX, and INX is looking to do a 130 million public IPO launch. We've mentioned them before. They, they want to trade publicly and raise money from retail investors to fund their, their exchange for, for security tokens, whether that's an ATS and a marketplace or an actual license exchange is still not necessarily clear. 
but they're seeking a, a New York bit license as well for compliance purposes. And so this is actually a former crypto exchange, INX, and they announced that they had ideas to support the security token space and were looking to raise an IPO from retail investors and do it fully compliantly, fully through the SEC in a traditional way through an IPO. And so the the INX filing from their prospectus does note this 130 figure um, for building their security token trading platform, which they're calling INX Securities. And so the company has plans to move its headquarters from Gibraltar to New York City, seeking to raise capital from retail investors on the public markets to launch. And the terms of this deal will provide investors with up to 40% of the platform's transaction fees. And that actually represents both the securities exchange as well as a compliant crypto exchange. They're also looking to launch, presumably, to upgrade their current infrastructure of their traditional crypto exchange they already have. And so the company has spent two years and almost $6 million so far in this process, and now they're currently seeking this bit license to comply with a bunch of New York financial regulations. And so the tokens were noted in the perspective to be selling for between $0.80 to $1 a pop, potentially based off of different rounds and tranches, with a minimum investment of $1,000 US dollars with 130 million tokens outstanding, which is where we got that $130 million IPO number from. The company also had a $5 million soft cap on the fundraise. Actually, I saw, Kyle, in their last revision, it, it's a 7.5. Ah, right. $7.5 million now. Again, as we've spoken before about these conversations with the SEC, it kind of goes back and forth. You see a ton of revisions. So great catch there, Herwig. And finally, they have plans, as I mentioned, to launch a separate crypto marketplace. Um, and so the company has received full approval to commence fundraising from non-U.S. investors. And they're waiting on approval, presumably, to move forward with the IPO process for the U.S. markets. And that's about it for the updates. We do have some new security token offerings that are, are definitely worth mentioning. The first three are actually all out of Germany. They're all real estate properties. So let's dig into those a little bit. The first one coming from Blick. BrickBlock, the issuance platform. It's called the Property Schoenberg out of Frankfurt, Germany. It is an eight-unit multifamily residential property in downtown Frankfurt. And the project cost is estimated to be around 2.3 million euros. So their funding target is 950,000 euros over an investment period of between two to five years. It's not clear whether these will be separate investment offerings or whether it's one that they're still determining. The investment rate of return is 3.3% minimum up to 5.3% with the start of the sale in March of 2020. So that's, that's this month, whether it's live now or coming in the coming days. It will be built on the Ethereum blockchain and the underlying asset is the projected rental income for the property. So based off of my interpretation of the investment documents that are publicly available on the company's website at property dash Schoenberg, S-C-H-O-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. It does seem like this offering is structured as a variable coupon based off of the rental income and how that might change over time. They do have their minimum rental income and that's where they get that 3.3% from as the minimum there. Included in the documents is a guarantee that if the property is sold, the investors will redeem their 3.3% for each additional year that wasn't counted. So presumably this doesn't have equity value in the homes like we've seen in other opportunities. This is really just a fixed income instrument if you're interested in 3.3% with an upside to 53 backed by real estate in this area. Definitely go check that out. 
And uh, it's very, very exciting. So nice job there from BrickBlock with Property Schoenberg. Moving forward, we have Black Manta Capital, who we've mentioned before. They teased us with this Berlin real estate project a couple episodes ago, and now they've come out with a lot more info on that. And so this is the S17A Tigris or Tigris um, token based out of Berlin, Germany. They're raising capital for an apartment complex in Berlin. And so the use of this property is really focusing on, on a multifamily apartments for short-term rental units. And the developer, Tigris Immobilien, has developed 13 previous properties over the last 10 years that are worth com- combined 25 million euros. So they've certainly done this before. And the company is raising 2 million euros to fund the development. So it seems like based off of what I was able to find, investors will be exposed to 20% of the project's profit following the sale of all of the apartments. And so the estimated return to investors is around 8%. The language involving the final balance sheet is described. So they they keep talking about the final balance sheet without giving necessarily a timetable on how that works. So I'm not sure whether it's 8% IRR per year or if it's 8% over the lifetime of the the property. I'm not exactly sure. It wasn't totally clear in what I was able to find. I'll continue to research and see if I can get in touch with the team to clarify there. It is a 500 euro minimum investment. So what we're seeing is a lot of these minimum investments are lower and lower, which is fantastic for, for more of the population to be able to participate. And the public sale actually has begun already March 1st. It will continue until April 19th of 2020. The company mentions that they will be giving quarterly reports and disclosures as well, and it is also built on Ethereum while leveraging Tokenese T-Rex protocol. So this is exciting. It does seem a little bit questionable. This one doesn't give me quite as much information on what this offering really looks like. I think a big question for me is around what they mention in terms of the final balance sheet, because based off of how I interpreted it, um, I'm not sure if the investor gets paid out until after all of the tokens are sold or if they are looking to sell the whole building in one go. Because if they're selling each individual apartment as they go, but the investors don't get paid back their dividend until the entire apartment building is sold out, that seems like it's unfair to investors. So we'll have to see how this pans out over time and whether whether that's the case or it was a misinterpretation. And and certainly we're willing to to give you more information as I can dig into that in more detail and, and try to get in touch with that team. Finally, from Germany, we have one more from ClickOwn, and they are tokenizing the historical Lundberg property. And so they're raising 1.5 million euros for a historical building. This is a built in 1342 in Lundberg, Germany, in the, in the old town of Lundberg. And the offering consists of a 5% semi-annual, semi-annual interest rate based on a three-year fixed income instrument. And so this property itself consists of three residential units and one commercial property. And the building is a landmark in the the Lunenburg Old Town Quarter, which, as I said, was built in 1342, which is crazy. The market value of the property is 2.5 million euros with an additional 500K in fees for the, the manual process. And so ClickOwn is raising 1.5 million from a token offering and has raised 1.5 from traditional financing as well. So as they say, quote, additional participation in potential future value increases of the property is noted. So it may be um, 
equity in, in the building as it increases in value. There may be additional dividends paid or something along those lines. Again, there's nothing in the, the offering that suggests that, but, but the, their wording may suggest that there is exposure to upside as the, the property increases in value. They do also mention that there's a, a focus on strong disclosures. They have currently raised 250k in in funding of the 1.5 million so far. So they've got about 15% of their goal done. No end of the campaign has been noted thus far. And the minimum investment for this one, Herwig, is 10 euros. So pretty pretty low cap there for anybody to be able to be exposed to this property. All around pretty impressive. The note to take away here is that's three STOs out of Germany, both all, all focused on real estate. So I think we can expect a lot more of that as, as things heat up. People have been talking about real estate and security tokens for years now, and it's exciting to see that they're just they keep popping up every episode. We're 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 getting more and more. I also have one more here, or two more actually. The first one being from Relio, R-E-A-L-I-O, Relio, which is an issuance and peer-to-peer trading platform focused on real estate and private equity. Surprise, surprise. And they are conducting a security token offering for a native exchange token or or marketplace token. If they're not a licensed exchange, i got to watch my wording there. The RST token, which will be native to the platform, and it offers ownership and profit share rights over the network alongside staking and utility features to participate in the network validation, voting, and more. This is a, we've seen this structure before in terms of the profit sharing for a, a marketplace or exchange token, but it's interesting that they, they also are including that, that voting and, and network validation piece as well. RST tokens will begin their private sale on March 16th, conducting both a Reg D and Reg S offerings for accredited investors all around the world. It will be tokenized on the Algorand blockchain. And so the founder of Relio did mention that the firm has already pre-sold over 2 million RST. So no fundraising goals have been announced yet. Not exactly sure what that what that relates to, but they, they certainly have begun a private pre-sale and, and seem to have been successful so far. We'll see more on March 16th next week. Finally, we have another Algorand property or uh tokenization. And this this is the national currency for the Marshall Islands. So SFB Technology is working with Algorand this time to launch the first national digital currency. This time it's based out of the Marshall Islands called the Marshallese Sovereign or the SOV, which obviously is a play on the acronym for store of value, which is a, a pillar of how we define currencies. And so according to the Crowdfund Insider article in the description, of wherever you're listening, the SOV is said to circulate alongside the U.S. dollar and will, quote, help the Marshall Islands efficiently operate in the global economy. And so the, the SOV supply will be algorithmically, algorithmically fixed to grow at a 4% each year to prevent that inflation that we're seeing maybe in our own markets. What The SOV will be introduced through a token presale. Rights to future SOV will be sold in a series of auctions as a part of a time-release monetary issuance, which is expected to begin this year. So I like the way that they're strategizing with this, trying not to flood the market right away with a ton of these, these assets that then maybe could be dumped by investors trying to recap immediately. doesn't seem to make a ton of sense, so they're kind of dripping them out over time, which seems to be very effective, especially when we're talking about a currency, something that's hopefully not going to be incredibly volatile. 
And SFB Technologies will issue this token on the Algorand blockchain. There's not yet a timetable for its exact rollout, but as I said, we should expect them to begin dripping them out moving forward. Herrick, what do you think about this and the national currencies relating to what yeah, we've talked I think about these, before? This is really cool to see this kind of model where you're now seeing an opportunity for investors to add yet another asset, if you will, into their their basket of, of various securities. In this case, the SOV token, which is going to be, as you mentioned, dripped out through a variety of auctions. So the, for the first time ever, you can now sort of get direct access to a, a national currency getting issued on a token that you can add into your portfolio. So really, really cool and good for Algorand for, for adding two more STOs onto their platform there. Yeah, and it's mirroring the U.S. dollar, so potentially this opens up the door to a U.S. digital currency in the future. Who knows? Finally, we've got a market update. We like to, to sneak this segment in, talk about the secondary markets. As always, all the news, including the pricing data that I'm going to talk about right now, is sourced from stomarket.com. We've got live automated pricing hourly for tokens all around the world from T0 to Uniswap. We also include the open finance ones there too. And so when we're talking about the total STO market cap, like most of the public markets around the world, the industry was, was pretty discounted this week. We've got a market cap sitting at, at $55 million as of the close on Friday. As of Monday, March 9th, we're down another maybe 5 or $10 million, which is in line with what we're seeing in the public markets as well, down about 10 to 20% from last week, $60 million. T0 obviously was a was a big leader here. It's down and it keeps bouncing around in that dollar fifty. Now it's down at about a dollar twenty range. Um, and then we also saw a thirty k share sell off of LDCC Lottery.com since its retail access was enabled two weeks ago. That's about three thousand U.S. dollars, which isn't a ton of money, but it is double the trading volume over the token's full year lifespan. So there's a, a pretty big dump off happening, and. Uh, so it seems like a lot of the early investors seem to be selling some of their bags, um, trying to recoup even small fractions of their assets instead of showing full confidence in the token's future. But we'll see how that performs over time. In terms of new tokens, Realty has told me directly that they now have seven live properties, which is fantastic. I believe about four to five are trading on secondary markets, but unfortunately, our API and, and through Uniswap really only gives us pricing updates for three of the tokens that I've detailed before, and I'm working with both Realty as well as Uniswap to get as much pricing info as I can, so we will get that info as, as soon as possible. We're working with both teams to get that live. The pricing of the three properties, however, have stayed relatively consistent, and you can find those on stlmarket.com. Without further ado, we're talking about a main topic here that, that I think should be pretty exciting for everybody regarding markets and exchanges. Herwig, we'd love to, to hear your breakdown of what it's we're talking about. It's actually by popular request. So let's get into this because this is often what's considered the sexy part of tokenization, the trading and liquidity. And both investors and issuers alike typically ask the same thing once they grasp the technology of tokenization, which is where can I trade them? And this is a major challenge for the industry since many exchange and trading venues dedicated to providing liquidity have not yet even gone live, with less than a dozen dedicated players today trading fewer than a dozen tokens making it, of course, all very difficult to simply point to a platform like T0 or FN and say, this is where you can do it, and many people do it anyway. 
We always recommend also pointing people to our list of over 60 exchanges and markets that are launching over the next uh, couple of years uh, that you can find on our blog. And as consultants, we have conversations with issuers and investors all the time. And the reality typically comes down to forming out a well-thought-out liquidity strategy. Tie that in with you know, a lockup period for many STOs and many issuers end up feeling comfortable that eventually their tokens will find venues for liquidity because of the technology. Back in the beginning of 2019, I laid out an article to address the very problem of peddling liquidity from industry supporters because we didn't technically have any yet and there's a very big difference between liquidity and access. And through this article, I did lay out some of the strategies that we're going to talk about today. So, you know, the first thing to remember is that the issuer as an entity can also help facilitate secondary transactions. And many technology providers offer white label exchange solutions or marketplace solutions to power a private market. An issuer can control their own market by simply managing it through a combination of buyback programs, redemption periods, and outside financial partners such as market makers. They can now create liquidity for their token and have a lot of control over the market and the whitelist of investors able to participate in it. This is also often attractive from an investor relations perspective because investors would need to interact directly with the issuer, making things like disclosures and governance easier, but also useful for future fundraises and issuances for the investor to potentially participate in. Now, I believe, especially in 2020, but well beyond, that we are going to see many issuer-managed markets uh, as sort of the first way for a lot of STOs to provide liquidity. But the beautiful thing about security tokens is that they are distributed digitally and marketplaces of all sorts can compete to provide liquidity for them. We've seen examples of peer-to-peer marketplaces arise. These are essentially technology providers aiming to provide all the tools needed to help a buyer and seller find each other and transact with each other directly. From a decentralization perspective, this is great, but from a regulatory perspective, let's just say it's complicated. We saw back in the day that blockchain capital tokens in its original, originally issued form were trading on a decentralized exchange called Ether Delta. Well, due to the fact that these were actually securities being traded, many security regulations were actually violated because on this platform, there was no way to know who the purchaser was. There were certainly no checks of their eligibility, whether they qualified to make the, the purchase. And as a result, BCAP had to go back and redeem and qualify all token holders. And that's, I believe, when they switched over to Securitize and did a reissuance of the BCAP token, which now is the one trading on OFN today. So peer-to-peer exchanges are possible, but they need to have the right controls and potential licenses in place to fully pass as a peer-to-peer transaction compliant with the law. That's why sort of the next step up in liquidity providers we see is financial institutions. Broker-dealers and investment banks that are governed by FINRA and regulated by the SEC to ensure protection for investors and fair markets and therefore are designated to offer brokering activities and solicit STOs on the behalf of an issuer. They, or, or, or seller. They typically manage a, a network of investors and of course now in the digital age can offer an e-trade-like experience to buy into these private investment opportunities. Specifically in the US, the, the term would be a broker-dealer with an ATS license or an alternative trading system license, which gives them the ability to facilitate these secondary transactions. 
The current live examples of this are Open Finance Network and Dinosaur, which is powered by T0, but T0 has announced that they themselves will also have the T0 ATS that they will primarily use in the, in the future. These players are all operating under that same license to offer digital trading platform options. But every single one of those names I just mentioned, not a single one of them is actually a nationally licensed exchange in the U.S. When I say that, we are talking about an exchange like the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. All those other players are actually trading venues or marketplaces. We also do see the emergence of international regulated exchanges like Merge and Seychelles or Tokenize and Barbados or many of the various national exchanges that have teamed up with Blockstation in the Caribbean. But in the U.S., there is only one national exchange that's not even live yet, not even approved yet, focused on the support for security tokens, which is the Boston Security Token Exchange that we mentioned earlier, which is, of course, a 50-50 joint venture between Box and T0. It's not certain you know, how much security tokens or how that's going to be as a part of their strategy since they also intend to offer the traditional way, but it sounds like it'll be very similar from an IPO perspective. And therefore, right now, the U.S. still, despite not having approval, does not really have any national exchanges dedicated to uh, security tokens. And even still, as T0 had mentioned in the past, the BTSX is designed to be for the next step up of issuers. On the other hand, we, of course, have T0 and Open Finance and many others that will sort of are more looking like to become the, quote, future NASDAQs or New York Stock Exchanges of the private market, if you will. So there you have it. That's pretty much the range of the different liquidity methods for security tokens. You know, Kyle, I wonder how many people didn't know that T0FN were, in fact, not exchanges, uh, but actually simply just marketplaces trading under, you know, with the right licenses. Uh, but uh, hopefully people found it helpful. It's a great breakdown, Herwig. And we've seen many peer-to-peer swap solutions pop up over the last couple of years between atomic swaps and P2P platforms and, and many of these other things. But ultimately, they haven't yet been able to scale to the volume that we've seen from live ATSs. And potentially, these ATSs themselves may face the same scaling limitations compared to the future licensed exchanges. So these options are suitable for the smaller levels of volume, these options being the ATSs and some of the swappings that we've seen already. But we definitely expect to see dozens of additional marketplaces and liquidity options springing up in the coming 12 to 18 months, which will help with that liquidity, right? You may have specific marketplaces or or trading platforms that provide liquidity for real estate or for for debt instruments or for for equities or for whatever. Maybe it's jurisdictionally based. Maybe it's industry based. We're we're not sure. but, But those kinds of solutions may help with that additional liquidity for maybe a more focused pool of interested investors or whatever. Um, fully agree with that, Kyle. I see the future perhaps not more focused on just a specific few venues, but perhaps a lot of different scattered and fragmented venues. And there's definitely a good point around international uh, arbitrage, if you will, for the international exchanges to potentially capture some of these U.S. private assets to go public on their exchanges as opposed to here in the U.S. because they have more efficient uh, tokenized options available. And if you're ever not sure, if you're looking for a way to distinguish between some of these things, definitely pay attention to the word exchange. Sometimes we use it colloquially here on the show, and certainly it's pretty popular around the the cyberspace to mention anything 
as an exchange, but certainly at least here in the US, if you're an ATS or a marketplace, you have to be very strict about not using the words exchange because historically the SEC and other regulatory bodies have looked down upon that for, for firms that use that term exchange without being a nationally licensed exchange. So definitely try to keep your terminology straight. If you look at, at a T0 or open finance, you'll see no mention of the word exchange. They use marketplace, they use trading platform, many of these other terminologies that kind of help suggest that they're more ATSs. Once you see exchanges go live, they will not hesitate to use that language. So that's definitely an interesting distinction to make. Um, in fact, the, the BTSX has it in their name. And with that, you know, as always, thanks again for listening. We hope to catch you next week. And please send us your feedback. We always want to try to improve the show. You can reach out to us on our socials. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. We're everywhere. But as always, thanks for your support. Talk to you next time.